This is the We Are Outdoorsmen podcast, built by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Presented by Herod Outdoors and Max Luer. Top line. Top line just got this. Yes, there it is. <laughs> yeah, that was my fit. There we go. Oh, she does it again. Welcome back to another edition of the We Are Outdoorsman podcast, brought to you by Max Luer and Herod Outdoors. I'm your co-host, Richie Herod. And as you can tell, because Bobby Loomis is not on the foreplay turkey call, that I'm by myself today. And we don't have any special coffee either because, you know, drinking by yourself is probably not a good idea. Lots going on at Herod Outdoors and Max Luer, and so we just have a short topic today. And today, what we're going to do is hear from Pete Roscoe. Pete Roscoe is a lure inventor. Actually, he's a retired dentist. Started his career in Ohio designing lures for walleye and eventually he created a lure called the Erie Shiner and that won the American Sport Fishing Association award for best spinner and then later on after he was not working as a dentist anymore he he just kept designing lures it's kind of a natural fit for a guy that understood how to make things fit and form them easily and so he did that and eventually ended up making other lures like the crippled herring the candlefish and of course the max lure sonic bait fish and these have won many awards the sonic bait fish actually won the best spoon in all canada award there have also been a multitude of state and international hall of fame fresh and saltwater fish records awarded to Pete's inventions. He's quite a guy to visit with, and I was lucky enough we were filming a show for the Northwest Outdoorsman at Port Angeles in the saltwater, and you'll have to watch for that this coming fall. In doing so, Pete joined us, and I got a chance to sit down and visit with him, hear about his history. So after this short break, we'll learn all about Pete's history. Today I'm visiting with Pete Roscoe, the inventor of the sonic baitfish and a number of other lures. And we're here in Port Angeles. And Pete, I want to know how you met Bobby Loomis. It probably happened, I would say, somewhere in the uh, 80s, 1980s, where uh, I heard about uh, G. Loomis Rods. Through one of his friendships with Herb Good, Herb told me about Bobby. Shortly after that, I got together with Bobby, and basically the rest is history. We, uh, we fished together in Sitka, and I got to know him as a uh, special person, special friend, honest friend. The friendship has been nothing but growing. My only regret is not spending more time with Bobby. So after all these years in Sitka, we finally got together here in Port Angeles, and hopefully we can have a lot more friends, uh, reunions and make this an annual event. How did you get interested or started in designing lures. I was a dentist. I was designing lures. Uh, we lived close to Lake Erie and uh, we grew up in a walleye fishing family in northern Ohio and uh, I was very fortunate to to have a family that spent time with their children and kids and they were passionate about fishing especially for walleye so at a pretty early age I started designing lures, mainly uh, warm harnesses with spinners and what have you. I remember being very productive with 
small gold propeller type spinners on my harnesses, but it uh, advanced to this. I, I probably had five or six or seven tackle boxes full of my so-called inventions that were, I thought were really pretty hot shot lures. Uh, and that continued through college. And uh, eventually, back in the mid-1970s, I, I got divorced and uh, basically wanted to start a new life. We researched the West Coast, and I was considering going to Colorado and practicing dentistry there. And my brother, who's on the West Coast, said, why don't you come to the West Coast? So we started thinking about the West Coast, uh, my wife Judy and I, and uh, sight unseen, we came to Port Angeles. We read about Port Angeles, and the thing that captivated me was it was called the salmon capital of the world. So that naturally intrigued me. So I took my dental boards at the University of Washington. We were licensed in the state of Washington, and I was supposed to practice dentistry with a, another dentist here. So that was the uh, beginning of 1980. So my wife and I, sight unseen, we set off for Port Angeles. We got to Port Angeles. I had no idea what I was going to do, but all I did know was that I saw that water, and I, there was a place called uh, Edis Hook. Had no idea what it meant. I ran down to Edith's Hook. I left my wife uh, at, at our new rental place. Mind you, this is the first day I'm there, so I already booked a charter for the following day. I pulled. I came out of the uh, the establishment where I made my uh, reservations, and I saw a, a fella cleaning three salmon. Well, automatically, I thought I hit the jackpot there. So you don't pass people up like that with three big salmon that he's cleaning. So. I introduced myself. His name was Jess Manchu. He retired from the uh, U.S. Navy. He was a professional submariner, so to speak. And I, uh, we started talking, and I said, well, you know, I had to brag about my appointment with the charter the next day. And he said, no, no, you stay with me. So we did. I canceled the trip, and uh, the following day, Jess introduced me to fishing for salmon and uh, mooching. I was thoroughly fascinated with salmon. So they told I found out that they do fish with jigs. I said, great, I, I, you know, I, I developed jigs and what have you at home. And, and uh, he wasn't talking about leadhead jigs and what have you. He was talking about imita kind of imitation. We call them uh, at this time metal jigs and uh, kind of imitated uh, a fish. And uh, they were called different names, uh, squids and metals and uh, spoons and, and what have you. I uh, bought a boat, trailer, and uh, we started fishing. And uh, one of the things that was remarkable with the Port Angeles area was the fact that the fishing in the, in the bait fish population was tremendous. The, the, the other thing that really intrigued me was the fact that I could see almost down to 25 to 27 feet of water. On a calm day, I could see a lot of bait fish, how they reacted, but most especially how the fish were attacking it, especially coho salmon and more especially Chinook salmon. I was intrigued how they trashed through bait fish and caused a lot of different actions by crippling and injuring these bait fish. I'm assuming this is when you started to make the cripple herring. I did. I thought it'd be pretty neat to maybe mimic that, but it didn't really strike me that much because I still could go ahead and use a, a net or what have you and net these uh, bait fish themselves. And uh, I generally fish around the kelp bed edges. Very simple application, a little splutch out of number four hook, get one of these bait fish, cast them out, and it worked fine. That was fine until the state made that illegal, using live bait fish for, for salmon. So I thought, well, if I can't do this, what can I do? And I start developing 
a bait that I thought might work okay, mainly for salmon and for halibut. And uh, that ended up developing into uh, what I call it to this day, the crippled herring. I, I received a patent, a U.S. patent, mechanical patent in 1986. We started marketing. Bob Meshmet in Seattle was my first factory rep. And that went pretty well, for salmon especially. And uh, I was fortunate to get involved with quite a few outdoor writers most especially Terry Rudnick, and he fished with me, and that probably really ignited the beginning of the crippled herring as far as its involvement in the media. So it caught the attention of Phil Jensen in 1989. I was reluctant, really, to not do anything with Lord Jensen at the time. It was probably one of the best moves I ever made. I would consider the best move I ever made. So we got together, we agreed on a licensing agreement to market and manufacture the crippled herring in 1990. That continued until 2005 when uh, Phil decided to, Phil Jensen decided to retire, but his son no longer wanted to be a part of the business. Phil was pretty close with Rapala and Rapala bought the company and uh, along with it Rapala made me an offer to go along with them, of which I did. Shortly after that, uh, got a marine infection, and uh, that really knocked me out of the ball game as far as uh, anything doing with fishing. That continued for a long period of time. I recovered to a certain degree, and uh, in, in the interim, I moved to, one of the things I forgot to mention was that I moved to Florida in 1989. I had uh, a problem with my hands, and I started, uh, I couldn't hold instruments. I, did, I was doing a lot of surgery in the hospitals and along with my regular dental practice in the office. So basically, I, uh, I majored, so to speak, in oral surgery, but I also did the general dentistry because I liked, the, I liked working with the dexterity part with my hands, with various metals and what have you. I got my uh, U.S. Coast Guard license and began to uh, uh, run charters out of Naples and, and Marco Island. Running charters out of Naples was... Uh, was a kind of an ideal life for me because I could go out almost every day and make a few bucks at it, but also learn a lot about the fishing. But for a long time, I wanted to create another lure, another metal jig, kind of a slender, elongated uh, form that would uh, kind of contrast with the different form of the crippled herring. So uh, we, uh, we developed it and called it the, uh, the candlefish. That was a great name for the Pacific Northwest because most people knew what a candlefish was, but east of the, the Pacific Northwest, a candlefish didn't really register on the, the mind of anybody. But anyway, uh, Blue Fox, uh, which was part of Normark, it was Rapala and then Blue Fox, acquired the uh, candlefish. So how'd you come up with the idea for the sonic bait fish? I had another idea about doing something with this candlefish. I also had the idea that maybe there were other attachment points to a lure besides a nose. This all evolved probably from the fact that there were times when I was salmon fishing and the, uh, the metal jig, if you overwork it, it will foul. And especially if you get into turbulent waters, it can foul too, especially if it has a delicate balance of which the candlefish and the crippled herring did. One of the things that uh, we noticed on the retrieve when fouling is that it had quite a vibration. We're still talking about those clear waters in the Strait of Juan de Fuca. You can see down there, you see fish following, but it didn't register on me at first. And this kept repeating itself and repeating itself. And that, I got the idea of trying to duplicate that action. 
So I started creating this other lure, and uh, I had no idea what I was going to call it. And actually, Bob Loomis at uh, Max Lure is responsible for its name because I had some idiotic names, and he brought me back to reality saying this is the way it should be, and it was, it was an excellent choice, and this is how Bobby functions. You know, sometimes I, I need to be straightened out, and he was, he was a good straightener out for me. We decided to call it the Sonic Baitfish. Bobby asked if he could get some samples, and apparently he had a, uh, a meeting on the Columbia River, both for fishing and for uh, also accommodating outdoor writers. And he came back the following week or so, and he says, we'd like to have it at Max Lure. And that was a good deal as far as I was concerned, because I'd be involved with Bobby, and I knew Bobby's reputation and his friendship meant a lot to me. Now, come on, Pete, you're going to give Bobby a big head. I'm crawling out of that rabbit hole now that we go on. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for taking time to visit with me, and hopefully we'll get to fish together again.